0: Yay, so we have the lovely Sarah that's going to bring the word to us this morning. Uh, It's something that she has been spending time with God about. You hope so, don't you? We do. Yeah, I do. Thank you. Yeah, so Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we meet Jesus in your word. We thank you that you bring your word to us and deposit it in our hearts. Mm. So for everything that we need this morning, and all of us are in a different place, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you will bring your word through Sarah. Mm. Anoint her now with your supernatural power and let your words flow and open our hearts to receive them into good soil for your purposes. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you. Cool. I don't know if any of you've been praying that this morning would be a shorter message, but God might be about to answer your prayers (laughs) (laughs) Um, because it's come about in a bit of a strange way. This one, Um, I found it a bit of a challenge to put it together because it it started out. Well, it started out as something in our Tea and Truth Bible study. It was just a little thing that kind of captured me, and I sort of thought on it, and we had a bit of a discussion about it. And then one week I was at Uh, one thing in the evening and felt like that revelation um, would be a good thing to share with that group. Um, So at the end of it, I said to Mark, you know, I think I've got something I'd like to bring. Um, Is there opportunity to do that? And Cheryl jumped up and said, oh, have my slot, have my slot. Um, (laughs) So... (laughs) So I spent a bit of time, I put that together, and it, was, it started out as quite a short little thing, but it went quite well, I thought. We seemed to be quite challenged by it. Um, and I thought, great, you know, that's, that's job done. God's told me, given me something, I've delivered it. Brilliant. Um, and, and through the whole thing, Mark hadn't really said a lot. He'd sort of, you know, how he can be quite inscrutable. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, he hasn't corrected me so I think that was okay <laughs> and as I was going to leave he said have you got a minute <laughs> so I sort of scuttled over and um, he said there might be a sermon in that so you never think and see if you can make it longer okay then so maybe he maybe he did like it um, <laughs> so this is going to try to be that longer version, but I'm, a, you know, I'm a little bit concerned that it's just a 15-minute message with some fluff and filler. But <laughs> well, we'll see. I have put more work in. Now, the passage that I want to start from today, this is where we were in our Bible study. Um, it's in Luke 7, verse 31 to 34. To what then? Shall I compare the men of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another, and they say, we played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax gatherers and sinners." I think that's a slightly odd passage. Um, You've got this imagery at the beginning. The beginning bit is the bit I'm most focused on. Um, You've got this imagery of children in a marketplace. Some of you might have heard that Misty Edwards has used this in some of her music. Um, But I don't think that helped me make any sense of what it was about. Um, Before we looked at it in our Bible study... um, Now, Jesus here is talking to or about the Pharisees. And we see that in the verse before, because we're told, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptised by John. Now, what were John's baptisms about? In Matthew 3, 31, John himself says, I baptise you with water for repentance. And then in Acts, Acts 19, 4, Paul says John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is Jesus. So what the Pharisees had rejected here was the idea that they needed to repent. Now, why was that? And I think it's because they thought they already had it nailed. You know, they considered themselves to be the foremost experts on scripture of the day. And in their minds, nobody knew more than they did. They were the definition of holier than thou. Yeah, so they probably were expecting that when the Messiah appeared, he'd be on their side. He'd back them up. Maybe that he would vindicate them. Yeah then they could re- feel really good about themselves, couldn't they? But what they really weren't expecting to be told was that they needed to repent and change. And I've done a bit of reading into what the Jews of that time were expecting the Messiah to be like when he came. Um, some of you probably know they, they were expecting a warrior, a conquering king, someone that would save them from the brutal rule of the Romans at the time, If we look at the Jewish leaders at that time, they were split into Pharisees and Sadducees. And the Sadducees were quite aristocratic and wealthy. And they sought to try and keep very good relations with Rome because they didn't want to lose that authority that they had. Um, They liked being in power. They were keen to keep it that way. And so actually, for the Sadducees, a lot of them probably weren't that interested in the Messiah arriving because they'd have to give up their authority and their power. It's possible, though, that the Pharisees believed that the Messiah, whilst he would come to lead the revolt against Rome, that he would still be submissive to them when it came to interpreting Scripture. They were expecting a Messiah who would come to save them from problems they had on the outside, not one that was coming to save them from the problem on the inside, which was their sin. In fact, they had so much hubris and self-righteousness that they probably didn't even see that they had a problem in the first place. So they refused John's baptism of repentance from sin. And then Jesus makes this statement. To what then shall I compare the men of this generation and what are they like? They're like children who sit in the marketplace and call to one another and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. So what does he mean by that? What's that imagery telling us? We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Now to me, it sounds like kind of the equivalent of you didn't do what we wanted you to do. Or even more literally, you didn't dance to our tune. You didn't dance to our tune, so we don't like you. We expected this of you, and you didn't deliver. So now we're disappointed in you. You've let us down, Jesus. It's quite immature in a way, isn't it? Um, That's why he likens them to children, I suppose. Um, And actually, the second half of what Jesus says shows that actually he was never going to please them, was he? They were always going to pick holes and find fault somehow because they couldn't deal with having to give up their authority. He says John the Baptist has come eating no bread drinking no wine and you say he has a demon the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say behold a gluttonous man a drunkard a friend of tax gatherers and sinners Jesus wasn't what the Pharisees expected in a messiah he wasn't what they wanted he wouldn't dance to their tune and so here's the question that I want to bring today and It's not an easy one. This might be a fairly short message, but it's by no means not challenging. What do we do when the reality of who Jesus is doesn't match the image we may have built up for ourselves of who he would be? What do we do when the reality of who Jesus is doesn't match the image that we may have built up for ourselves of who he would be? Whether we like to admit it or not, we all have an image of what we believe Jesus to be like. Years ago, when I was a teenager, we had two ladies in our church, both called Pat. Okay, and one of them, she'd grown up a Catholic and then sort of moved over, and and she kept this little figurine of Jesus in her handbag. And she'd bring it out to talk to it when she prayed. So my mum used to call her Pat with God in her bag. most of us don't have such a literal representation that we bring out of Jesus when we want to talk to him, but we all have some kind of image in our head of what we think he's like. And many things will have informed the image that we have. Some of them are good, some of them perhaps less. So Um, hopefully, obviously, the Bible is the biggest contributor because that's the best image we've got of Jesus, isn't it? Um, But we'll also have had our own individual experiences with God that will have contributed to our understanding of him. We might have watched films, TV, where people have portrayed him. We've heard other people say things. We've sung songs that sing about him. And we may have assumptions we've made, whether we realise it or not, that are based on our own logic. You know, things like um, we might say to ourselves, well... I don't think God would work like that because that's not how I would do it. Or pretty sure he'd be okay with this because to me that's logical. I don't, I don't see a problem with that. Um, you know, I think we, we make God in our own image. Yeah. And Esther and I, I think she's upstairs with the children this morning, but we've had this ongoing discussion recently over The Chosen, which many of you will have watched. Yeah. Um, it's a series depicting the life of Jesus, his disciples. And it is really good for giving this idea of what it might have felt like to meet Jesus, to follow him. And it, when it's, it's pretty faithful to the Bible, but they have had to use artistic license to create backstories for characters and so on. And around Christmas, series three came out. I haven't actually got that far yet. Um, But on Facebook I saw that in an early episode there was a scene that was causing a lot of debate among Christians. You know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Um, It shows Jesus with James, the disciple, and he's got some sort of issue for which he would like healing, and Jesus doesn't do it. Instead, he tells James that it would be more powerful to go out and minister as he is, and his his healing will eventually come. We're not really told what eventually means. Um, now obviously that's not in the bible is it and actually when I've read into it the reason that's ended up in the series is because the actor that plays James has a physical disability which he had hidden as far as he could from the producers but became more obvious as they were doing the show and they decided to write something in Um, but there's nothing in the word to suggest that James had anything going on with him like that and over and over again in the gospels we see that Jesus healed everyone that came to him yeah. This is the bit. Matthew 8:16 There's no point in you turning to it but I've set Jules a challenge. <laughs> when evening had come they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Matthew 14:14 14, 14. When Jesus went out he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Matthew 19, 2. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. Matthew 21, 14. Then the blind and the lame came in to him in the temple, and he healed them. Matthew 12, 15. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Are we keeping up? <laughs> Mark 6, 56. Wherever he entered into villages cities or the country they laid the sick in the marketplace and begged him that they might just touch the hem of his garment and as many as touched him were made well. Yeah. Luke 4:40 When the sun was setting all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Luke 6:19 And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Luke 5.17, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Luke 9.11, But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. Well done. <laughs> I warned was about that bit. <laughs> Never do we see him turn away someone that needed healing. So unsurprisingly, this has bothered us quite a lot because actually when the series sticks to what we know is true, it does it really well it's reduced me to tears many times because it can be really, really powerful. And I don't want to take anything away from that. But we have to be so careful that we know what the word says. Because we need to be able to spot if things have been added. We need to make sure that the image and our understanding of Jesus and who he is isn't being too far influenced by these things. I'd suggest that what's happened with the inclusion of that storyline is that people have used assumptions of their experiences now that we don't always see everyone receive healing. And they've used that to assume that Jesus wouldn't have healed everyone when he was on earth. The image that they've created of Jesus is based on an assumption of their own logic, not from the evidence that we have in the word, of which there's plenty. Now, it's one thing, isn't it, to see when other people get these things wrong. Um, But what about in ourselves? I think that's harder. Are there areas where we're subconsciously expecting Jesus to dance to our tune? How often do we, or other churches or whoever come up with an idea without including God in that process and then we pray and ask God to bless it. Yeah? Do we go to the Word and ask the Holy Spirit to show us what Jesus is like? Or is it just easier to read or watch someone else's conclusions? The assumptions that we see with the Pharisees about what it would be like to receive the Messiah in their lifetime, reminds me a bit of how some people approach marriage. Before you get married, it can be really easy to create an idea in your head of what marriage should look like and what marriage should feel like. Um, They're quite often based on what we've witnessed growing up, for good, for bad. Um, But I think also we tend to pick up things that we've seen on TV, films and so on, get these ideas that we've built up that's going to be like a Disney princess film and we're just going to meet, fall in love and it and will live happily ever after. There's never going to be any hard work involved. <laughs> and I wonder sometimes that people end up more in love with the idea of being married than the actual reality of it. But... The thing is, if I do that, if I come into a marriage relationship with all these assumptions on what the other person will do for me, then I'm imposing my desires on them about who they should be. And then what happens if they fail to meet them? If Rob doesn't measure up to my expectations of who I've decided he ought to be, has he failed? Does it mean he doesn't love me? I can't make him dance to my tune. I've seen women try and make their husbands dance to their tune. But ultimately, we we shouldn't, we can't do that. He's not just there to meet my needs, even though he might really want to try and do that. Instead, we've got a relationship based on the reality of getting to know who the other person actually is and falling in love with them for who they are. Not being in love with the idea of who they should be for me. In relationships with other people, that means understanding that all of us are imperfect. You know, we're seeking to love each other, we're seeking to cover each other in that. But with Jesus, he's perfect, isn't he? So if we suddenly realize that he's different to what we imagined, who needs to change? We do. And sometimes that might be something like we get a revelation of his love towards us. And we need to try and learn to trust him more as a result. We can realize that he is a trustworthy God. Other times it might be a bit more difficult. It might be that he shows us perhaps that something that we thought wasn't a problem actually is sinful in his eyes. And we need to repent. Repent. With the, as with the example of marriage, we should be getting to know God more and more as we live in relationship with Him. You know, we've focused a lot lately as a church, haven't we, on intimacy, relationship with God, relationship with Jesus. Um, several of us are doing the Drawing Near series. We've got our own little Papworth version of that. Um, but if you're not in a group, that material, you can access that for free on your own if you want to do it in your own time, at your own speed. So don't let the need to go to a group put you off from doing it because it's very good in the sessions. The little videos, they're only short, no, no more than about 25 minutes. Um, I'd really recommend it because it really does encourage you to draw nearer to God. And if we're doing that if we are putting effort into drawing near to God, it should be inevitable that he reveals more and more to us. And I want to make sure that I'm going after Jesus for the reality of who he is and not some false image that I've created for myself in my head. So I want to ask the question that I proposed earlier, which is what do we do when the reality of who Jesus is doesn't match the image we've built up for ourselves of who he would be. Now I'd hope that in the places where I'm wrong about the image I have, that God would show me that, that he'd bring truthful correction. But when that's been revealed, I'm faced with a choice, aren't I, about how I respond, just like the Pharisees had a choice. I can either be like the Pharisees and I can refuse to repent. I think, no, no, I'm sorry, I've got this right. I can continue, I can complain that God isn't doing what I think he should be doing. He's let me down, he doesn't love me enough. You know, I've played such and such a tune and he won't dance to it and i yeah. Or I can choose to repent. I can acknowledge that if God and I have got different ideas about something, it's always me that's wrong. And I can ask him to help me get to know and love the real him better. I think the more that we're willing to abandon the wrong bits of the image that we've created, I think the more that God would trust us to reveal himself to us. Because how many of us would want a partner or a future partner who is more interested in the idea of what they think we should be rather than who we actually are? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't like that. Um, we want to be loved for who we really are, don't we? And so does God. He doesn't want a bunch of people who have got a set idea about what he should be fulfilling for them. He wants a bride who will commit to getting to know the real him and loving the real him. So I don't know how long that's taken me. That's quite short, wasn't it? But, um, you know, I thought that... (sighs) I don't like to pad things out just for the sake of it. I'd rather come and bring a a challenge, and it takes as long as it takes. But I want to pray. If anyone feels like that's really impacted them, um, then do, you know, do grab somebody, anyone you've seen at the front or anyone that you know, and ask them to pray with you. But we'll, uh, we'll pray now. And yeah. Father God, I thank you that you are so intensely interested in us and having a relationship with us that you sent Jesus to rescue us and make it possible that we can live in relationship with you. God, I thank you. You are not just some impersonal God, but you desire to know us. And more than that, you desire to be known by us. And Lord, I pray that you would, where we've got these wrong images in our head where we've got bits that are not accurate that I pray that you would graciously show us where we are wrong and Lord, that we would have the courage to accept that and to turn from that image and that you would show us the correct image. You show us the reality of who you are, Lord. Thank you for all these lovely people that we have in our church. I pray that as we keep pressing on to try and know you better and to know you more, that you would help us in that. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I pray that as we go from here, that we would keep our ear inclined to you, that we would keep seeking out to get to know you more and that we would come directly to you for that not just to some third party for some revelation that someone else has already tried to chew up and digest and then spit back out again. But, Lord, you just give us that personal one-to-one relationship. In Jesus' name. Amen.